Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is, should I change my corporate culture? And, you know, culture, it's, it's certainly something that people have, have talked about and continue to talk about. But I do think that um, I do think corporate cultures tend to become more important and are more tested in times like this. And as we're recording this on November 19th, 2020, <clears throat> just before Thanksgiving, but I think it'll be published after Thanksgiving. So, um, but times like this stress a corporate culture, right? And, and, and times of crisis, and we're in a time of, of extraordinary extreme crisis, not just from a company perspective, but, but almost everybody in the, in the planet has something going on in their lives that they would rather not have going on. Um, you know, maybe I guess if you're in New Zealand, that's different because they've successfully, um, kind of eradicated and contained the virus. That's the benefit of being a three hour flight to the nearest large mainland, uh, large, uh, massive land. But, um, you know, for the rest of us, um, we are all in a persistent state of crisis on some level or another. And, and, and that, that persistent state of crisis varies in intensity depending on, the week, the day, and, uh, and, and the hour, frankly. And, and so I think that, you know, people are looking to companies where Americans spend so much of their time to, to kind of make our lives easier, um, not easier in an economic sense, not even easier in a spiritual sense, but, but our, companies, our companies doing their part to enable their employees to thrive to the extent possible. And there are limits, of course, to what companies can do, and some people may or may not have realistic expectations. But a lot of this really boils down to culture. Now, the other fun part of this is that a lot of companies, most companies, frankly, were humming along, minding their own business, when all of a sudden this virus uh, appears on our shores and within a couple of months, we're all told to go home. And many of us are told, frankly, um, don't come back or at least don't hurry back. That's certainly what at least our firm in Atlanta is doing. Our office is open, but we're not necessarily encouraging people to come back. Uh, other offices are doing different things because um, different states have different scenarios. And frankly, our different offices have different cultures. And we may talk a little bit, a little bit about that today with our guest. But I think that, um, I think that, that, how companies react and how companies support their employees or don't during this time of crisis can at least be partially drawn to corporate culture. And, you know, like it or not, this is just another thing that is on the to-do list of the, um, of the business leader. And so I, I hope you will find this topic as relevant and as engaging as, as I do, because I think you're going to find some nuggets that, you can, you can implement right away, and I think you're going to find some nuggets that are maybe are long-term but are going to make you a better – make your company a stronger organization, a stronger organism, if you will, in the short-term and the long-term. And joining us today is Christian Hoefferle, who is founder of The Culture Mastery. The Culture Mastery provides leadership development programs for the global business community. 
when companies struggle to adapt to the unique work cultures and foreign markets, and when their managers fail to adjust to the norms and behaviors of these cultures, their global success is at risk, and the companies stand to lose out on international growth opportunities. Christian Hüffler is a cultural coach, trainer, and mentor for multinational organizations, or rather for people who work globally. Based in Atlanta, he is German by passport, American by choice, Bavarian at heart, and people call him the culture guy. His passion is to help people discover commonality when they are overwhelmed by difference. His mission is to create peace by facilitating understanding, relating, and connecting. At the core of this purpose is culture. And as he helps people figure out this thing called culture, they'll work at their peak and, and in peace with others. Throughout his career, Christian has had the privilege of working with people from all over the world. With his company, The Culture Mastery, Christian and his team serve multinational organizations to achieve their goals in global markets. The Culture Mastery does this via tailored coaching and training programs for expatriates as well as multinational team, multinational and multicultural teams. Christian, welcome to the program. Well, Mike, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Checks on the way. That was beautiful. <laughs> how you uh, introduced me I, I almost almost didn't recognize myself and thank you for for having me on your program um an honor to be here so um you know let, let's let's dive in right into it and and when, when we talk about a company culture what is that right and and you're you're I, I think unusually qualified to answer this question from an interesting perspective because most of us understand what an ethnic culture what a national culture is, um, but maybe a company culture may be somewhat elusive. So how do you define mm. that? Well, um, it's an excellent question. It's also a tough question. And, and I also want to include the question you asked at the very beginning, do I need to change my culture? Um, if you're asking yourself that question, then the answer is probably yes. <laughs> if, if that question's come comes up, then that might be an indicator. What is company culture? Well, let's start with what is culture in general? Culture is the norms and appropriate behaviors that a group of people agree on. Um, that's one definition. There's there's many other definitions. I think um, when when you and I talked in our in our discovery uh, call, Mike, you said culture is the um, the worst behavior leadership is willing to tolerate. Um, that that might be a great definition for a corporate culture. Um, in in general, and and I like the way that you use the word organism um, for a group of people or for a a group that works along a common goal or towards a common purpose. So if we if we make that analogy that a company with a group of people, with employees who, who work in that company as an organism, then culture is the, the operating system of that organism. The organism itself, the bodies, the, the building, the structure, that's the hardware. Um, the culture is the operating system. And on that operating system, we run different applications. We run the application of language. Right now, the application is English. My operating system happens to be German, so English is not a native app. It was installed after the fact, and I had to do some adjustment to get the glitches out. Sometimes it still glitches. So if I switch back into a German accent, that's that's when that happened. I, I really love that, um, and and you nailed it. As you know, for somebody who is himself a technology geek. And a hardware geek, I love that. I, I love that definition of a culture kind of being, kind of being the operating system, and 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 that can almost be a podcast in and of itself. But I don't, I don't want to get a, get into it too deeply here because <laughs> we can really, we can really put the togas on and go philosophical, and that maybe that'll be a different podcast. But but that operating system, let let, let me seize upon that. Um, who writes the who writes the operating system, right? Is it mm. is it like Linux, which is kind of crowdsourced, or is it an Apple that has their own very captive people and they write their own operating system? Is it is it open source? Is it proprietary? Is it something entirely different? That is a 
beautiful spinning of that yarn. I've, I never thought of that, but you're, you're, you're perfectly right. I think it, that, that what sets different cultures apart. So let, let, let me preface this with a, with a little bit of a sidebar. We all, whether we are American, German, from Mars or Venus, it doesn't really matter. We all are part of more than one culture. Uh, most people would think of culture as being part of their ethnic or passport culture. That is one level of culture. There are many, many layers to that onion. And um, corporate culture is one of them. The, the, the organization in which you work, the organism that you're part of, that is also one of the cultural baskets you belong to. And I would argue that ethnic cultures or national cultures or maybe cultures around a common language, they tend to be probably more Linux-style crowdsourced because they evolve over time via the input of every single individual or subgroups within the larger group. And corporate culture, the way we view it in corporate America or in, let's say, the quote-unquote Western world, corporate Western world, is something nowadays that we see as um, intentional culture or by design. If if a company approaches organizational culture that way, then they give it an intention. They they create something, and that then would probably fit more with the Microsoft or Apple uh, version of an operating system that is 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 not created by the crowd, but created by some higher power by leadership who says the, these are the the parameters that we want. So, you know, with within this um, within the, this this conversation or this 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 topic of a of a corporate culture, is ever are cultures like snowflakes in that there are no two cultures that are exactly alike, or can there be a helpful construct to categorize cultures that you know, like a, almost like personalities, right? Right. Uh, if individuals can have personalities that are classified, whether it's Myers-Briggs or something else, hmm. can cultures be classified that way too to make it easier to get a handle on what they look like, how they differentiate, what their relative strengths and weaknesses are? Yes. Or do you, have to, do you truly have to treat them, each and every one of them, ad hoc and, and evaluate and analyze them purely in a vacuum on their standalone hmm. uh, characteristics? I think the answer is somewhere in between, and uh, I, I want to address the the choice of words. Snowflake in in American English has somehow gotten a, a bad rep over the last couple of years. So I'm not sure. If, if, yeah, if I, yeah. I'm, I, one, I understand but, what you're. I understand what you're saying, but I'm going to reject that because I, I come from the north, and although yeah. I moved to the south, and I do not miss snow at all. I do like a good snowflake. So, oh yeah, I do, I'm going to defend too. the snowflake here. Oh, thank you for doing that because I actually miss the snowflakes. I too live in the in the southeastern part of the United States, and I grew up in close to the mountains in Germany. So I miss I miss the mountains and the snow covered slopes to go skiing. So yeah, I I, I agree. I just want to um, tongue in cheek make sure that we don't we don't put culture and and the in the popular culture interpretation of the word in the same basket. Um, so. The the answer how, how do we categorize cultures? Yes, it 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 can be or often ideally should there should be a portion of analysis happening in in a vacuum without preconceived notions. However, um, there there are certain measuring measurement units that we use in our work. So we we use as you already said personality profiling tools, whether that be Myers Briggs or some use DISC. Um, in our organization, we're pretty fond of uh, the Bank Code Breaker system. They typically break down into four prototypes of of personalities, and most people are a certain mix of these different prototypes to certain degrees. And there, there's many overlaps in, in these personality profiling tools and some serve different purposes. So I don't want to uh, give preference to any. And on the other hand, human behavior can be explained by their cultural disposition or by their cultural wiring. And the, the, the tools that we use in our company, um, we use uh, two tools. One is called GlobeSmart Profile and the other one is called Country Navigator, which the name is, I think, a bit unelegant because it, it refers to culture by country, which is often a misleading concept. But um, the, these tools, and there's many others out there, so I, I don't want to ignore the others out there. They're probably really good, too. Um, 
So that it's it's not this is not a marketing program about which tool to use. Um, what these tools have in common is they compare cultures along what we call in the field cultural dimensions. And these are polar opposites of human behavior. So you would have one dimension is the um, the status dimension. Is a culture more hierarchically structured or is it more egalitarian? So the, those would be the two opposite poles. And an individual may fall somewhere in between those two poles from one to 10, as well uh, as a whole group of people. So if you look at an organization, is an organization more hierarchically structured? Let's say military, armed forces, any type of law enforcement tends to be quite hierarchical. And then you look at, I don't know, Airbnb, uh, Zappos, or or certain certain a lot of startups that are often fairly egalitarian and and status is only rewarded on merit, if at all. So we can measure along those dimensions, right? So there's uh, the hierarchy status dimension is a culture more relationship or task focused. Do they communicate more directly or indirectly? Are they focused more on the individual or more on the group? So there, there's a variety of tools that we use. So now that I think we have a handle on kind of how, how culture is, is defined, I, I'm going to ask this question on behalf of, of old Gen Xers like me and even, and even boomers. Why should we care about company culture? Why are people talking about this? And what happened to... Just keep your head down, work hard, and let the chips fall where they may. What, what, you know, what is company culture, and 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 why has there been a movement now to to frankly care about it? Hmm. Well, aren't there still enough companies out there who operate that way in a more in a more authoritarian or more instructive way? That means also with hierarchies, there is a clear defined leadership structure. There is a clearly defined cascade of power, influence, authority, and we we operate along those lines. I think there are still plenty of companies who work that way, and they may be very successful in doing so. And I'm not going to say this is right or wrong, the keep your head down and, and plow through it. For some organizations, this works really well. Others chose a different path and they were successful in, in a different way. So I, I, I really would refrain from um, judging cultures. I don't think a culture per se is wrong. A culture simply is. And as an organization, you can ask yourself, are we getting the results that we want? And if not, is it possible that our organizational culture has something to do with it? Then let's talk about that. If your results are within your your goal setting, if your results are, if you're happy with them, then I would argue your culture might be healthy. I think that's a really fascinating point. I did not expect to hear that that answer from you. Hmm. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm not judging the answer, but I, I did not expect a an answer that suggests that a culture in and of itself is not necessarily is not necessarily good or bad. Again, going back to your example, it doesn't necessarily mean that an operating system is good or bad. It just means that an right. operating system, one operating system, Windows versus Linux versus Symbian versus uh, Mac OS or iOS just happens to fit your workflows better. Well, and here, here, here's the thing where, where the good and bad becomes an issue for an organization. As I said earlier, we are humans, and as humans, we are not only part of one culture. Since we are groups, since we are members of many different groups, these groups evolve over time and over the generations. So I'm a fellow Xer, and I, I've seen millennials and, and Zs come up in, in, in the workplace, and they're influenced by different things by different other groups than I was my my subgroups that I belonged to outside of work or be, before I even entered the workspace was my friends at school there was my family maybe if I was religious then there was the 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 faith group to which I belonged then I played in a sports club so there was soccer and there was volleyball then there were um, the extended friends and family and and their offspring and their friends and I could go on and on. There, there are many different circles of people, many different subcultures to which I belonged. And 
I see that my kids or that uh, millennials that I've met over the course of the years, their their subgroups, their subcultures to which they belong are often significantly different from mine. So the influences that we get from these different cultural groups to which we belong, they also affect how we want to work, how we want to treat others at work, how we want to be treated, and how we want to have our work organized or organize it for ourselves. Um, economic, um, macroeconomic changes affect that where we're now living in this year, 2020, that in hindsight will be marvelous. I hope, um, that, that is changing the way we work. That's outside influence that affects the culture. So it, every organization has to respond to that because a, a company does not work in a vacuum, a company and a company is the sum total of, of its employees. And these employees have different cultural imprints and they change. They change from decade to decade or maybe even quicker. So how do I respond then as an, as an organization to the cultural changes my employees are undergoing? That's the critical question. Okay. So that, that's interesting. So I'm going I'm to have to think on my feel a little bit here because I, want, I need to reframe this conversation this, from a, a good or bad culture. And instead... Instead, let's let's talk about let's talk about this. Um, what are what are what are common symptoms that that might lead one to examine whether or not the culture the company has a culture is sustaining or promoting a culture that is consistent with their objectives, mm-hmm. right? So, what what are the symptoms that something may need to be changed, sort of in the in the cultural kernel of the operating system? I think some symptoms are high uh, high churn rate. So if you're losing a lot of employees, if you're continuing to rehire for positions because you cannot hold on to your employees, that that is, I think, a, a red flag. Um, also, um, disengagement. However, you want to measure it. I think engagement levels in an organization are are critical uh, indicators. Do do my employees engage with each other and with leadership and with or uh, across departments in a way that leadership would like to see? Again, that depends on what leadership wants. But um, so some cultures, national cultures, ethnic cultures, do not want any any engagement beyond the the silos in which the the people work. In, in other national cultures, it is highly encouraged. And it also depends on the industry. But engagement defined by um, the KPIs that the company wants, right? So if, if engagement is low, if you can measure that, or if it's only anecdotal, then um, that is something you want to look into as, as are, are we really being with each other the way is most productive for us? So is there a, you know, thing, thing that strikes me about culture and maybe this gets back to the, the personality um, analytical tools that we've discussed. Is there something akin to a Myers-Briggs or a DISC that helps one, helps somebody like you maybe analyze a corporate culture so you can understand kind of what it is and, and what it is not? Are there frameworks out there that help you do that diagnostic or is it still you just sort of have to kind of be an expert and you go in and, and just sort of call it like you see it? No, the, the the tools that I mentioned earlier, um, they, they can be used for that, especially GlobeSmart is a tool that we use with groups quite a bit. So we use it with the individuals and then we create uh, departmental um, uh, cultural profiles. So let's say here's R&D, here's sales, here's HR. Um, th- these tools exist and um, I'm only naming the ones that we use frequently because um, those are the ones that I have best experience with. But there's a, there's a, a handful of them out there. Global Competency Inventory, GC, CI is also quite good for that. Mm. Um, when we talk about international cultural uh, connects or disconnects, and there's a variety like uh, ICI, IDI, um, the whole static concept is still around, which has its pros and cons. There's, there's a bunch of them out there that are being used for that very purpose. So let, let's, let's then kind of take a hypothetical situation that we, we, we diagnose a company culture somehow. And mm-hmm. we've been prompted to do that because we have found out, we have discovered that 
you know, our, our churn of employees, um, particularly the, the ones we most value is higher than we think it ought to be. Um, and our employee engagement is not in the place where we'd like it to be, but we'd like to have them get engaged employees. Um, what is more, you know, what, what are most often the root causes of that disconnect um, taking place? In my experience, and that is really a, a limited view that I'm taking because I, I haven't worked with every situation yet in, in, in the corporate world, but in my experience, it is often um, a trust question. How much trust is there within the team? Um, how, how much do leadership trust their people? It, do they follow this this Apple Steve Jobs ideal of I, I hire the best people and let them go to work because they're smarter than me? Or do I, as leader, want to be the smartest person in the organization or surround myself with uh, with yes people? Um, that that is that that can affect trust. So, uh, is is there enough trust? Is one question. The other one is how do we how do we handle feedback within the team? That is something that is um, affected by these cultural dimensions that I mentioned earlier. Um, is there is there a, a a criticizing down approach? Is there hey you did this wrong we need to do it again? Or is there a coaching up approach where leadership encourage their encourages their people to grow and to get better? So that that is an aspect that can lead to higher churn if that's not done well. I think compensation is always a question um, um, in 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 a COVID year. Um, safety protocols and how they are enforced and implemented is a is a question. I had one client, actually two clients this year. One client left their employer, even though it was uncertain for him to find a immediate new position. But he left the employer because he felt that they were not treating um, the health threat properly, and he was tested positive several times. And they asked him to come back to the office, which was really interesting to hear that. Um, and, and another example, and the, this first example was more of a mid-sized organization here in, in, in Georgia in the U.S. The other one is a global organization with, with their U.S. base in, in Texas. And their head of their financing group did not want his team to come back to the office after the first lockdown. And headquarters said, nope, you're bringing people back. And he said, well we've proven that we work remotely from home or from wherever and work gets done. So why put people at risk? And the company didn't budge. And he, despite his better judgment, had to bring his people back into the building. So th these things can, can affect um, longevity of a team or a cohesion on a team. So there, there's, I don't know, we could go on and on. There's multiple factors that, that play into this. So, um, I infer from your your examples here that that leadership and maybe I'll put the tar the bullseye or the um, uh, the crosshairs right on the CEO. It it sounds like that that if there are if there are problematics, boy, it's so hard not to talk about culture in terms of good or bad. You really messed me up mm -hmm. here. Um, uh, <laughs> if if there are problematic elements to a corporate culture that are producing uh, unintended and undesired business, undesired business outcomes. I infer from what you're saying that it, it, it as often as that more often than not starts with the top leadership because they're making decisions that then contribute to these things. Is that, am, am I on base there or is there something else going on that I mean, me and our listeners that, that... need to know about? I, I, I would not I would not challenge your statement. However, I also believe that depending on the size of a company and the maturity of an organization, culture can change from the grassroots up because they're in, in certain departments they they begin practicing behaviors that go unnoticed that or go, go unchecked or un uh, uh, unedited, so to say, and they go on and on for years. One of my clients, they had this happen in one department that they they found out years later that this this was what this group with this department had been doing and nobody ever noticed it or nobody ever cared to look deeper into it. And at some point, it did not align with 
corporate values anymore. So it, it's both top down and bottom up. I think, but both it, it goes into both directions. And as as you assess culture from the outside, it it's important to look at how does leadership define culture, and how do how do the foot soldiers define it, and how does it get created? Right. So yes, you can be an organization with a top down cultural footprint that is designed with intention. Does it get lived in the day-to-day? I don't know. Depends on how you enforce it. There's a book by Blair Singer. It's called Team Code of Honor that I really like. And it, it Code of Honor may sound a little bit like Navy SEALs and, and, and military. However, Code of Honor means this is the constitution that we give ourselves as an organization. These are the rules to which we all agree. This is the work contract that you sign when you come in here. These are the behaviors that are rewarded. These are the behaviors that are um, sanctioned. So if, if you agree to this Code of Honor, then you're going to be a good fit here. Or if you don't agree with it, you may have good reasons to, to help us modify the Code of Honor. And if a majority is on board with it, let's do that. However, once, once a group agrees to common behaviors, if they're not enforced, then your culture is wobbly. It's, it's, not, it's not lived. It's, it's a, a wall tattoo with motivational quotes that we do this here. Yeah, if, if the picture on the wall says that, but the people don't do it, then you don't have a culture. You have a phantom of that. Yeah, I'm a bad person with those pictures on the walls. They're, they're, um, mm. You're probably familiar with successories, and uh, yeah. there's a there's a an antithesis to that called despair.com, and mm. uh, and they're, they're they're the ones that basically take the successories um, uh, type of pictures and instead put something entirely cynical on them. Um, I, in fact, I have I have one on my I have one on my desk called tradition. It shows a, a picture of the running of the bulls. And it says just because it's always been done this way doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. So, with and all due respect to the people who like to right. run away from bulls, but um, <laughs> um, but I, I am I am really bad with those. I'm bad with those uh, with those those pictures on the walls. Well, um, we we had this we had this issue this year with with a client, and we're still working with them. It started in February, right before COVID really hit. It's a it's a medical device manufacturer. With, with the global presence, they make big machines. Like their cheapest product is like eight million dollars, and they make these 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 radiation guns to kill cancer cells. Quite fascinating company. And they decided to in-house or in-source their IT support team in India, and they've been outsourcing that for years with with mixed results. And the corporate decision was made: we, we're going to hire people. We're going to give them the t-shirt with our logo on it and they're going to be on our payroll and we're going to have a building and, and it's going to be ours because we're done with this here and there uh, supplier taking care of our IT support, which may kill people if you don't get that system to work and the, the laser gun or the radiation gun doesn't kill the, the, the cancer cell, but the brain cell next to it, then we're in trouble. So um what they found was that we have a corporate culture and these are our corporate ideals and values. And it turned out that the brothers and sisters in India and in Hungary and in Switzerland and Australia and in Singapore didn't quite gel with what Silicon Valley had to say. So during this year with, I don't know how many live in classroom trainings before COVID hit and then a bunch of virtual sessions, we came to the agreement they came to the agreement that it would be best to bottoms up crowdsource a common code of excellence for their organization. And leadership took a sidestep and said, okay, let them develop this because this is what we can do better. This is how we've hired people because we wanted this change. We wanted to bring them the India people on. So now we need to find a common ground between people in the US, Europe and, and India. Those were the three big, big, poles or big baskets of their of their workforce and so far it's been working great and to see that happening how how such a diverse group of people of more than 200 it support staff are pulling together to create something that wasn't in place before and is to a certain degree in contradiction to what the corporate values originally were um, they're doing away with these wall tattoos I'm I'm gonna br- I'm gonna branch off a little bit because I'm I'm curious if you have ever seen a movie called Gung Ho. 
I don't think I have. It is it is a fascinating movie, I, I, and I don't watch a lot of movies. I'm pretty, I you know, and and the ones I watch are not particularly intellectual. I'm just going to put this out there right now. I'm not a European, <laughs> I'm not a European film guy that 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 watches a, a Finnish love story with subtitles or something. That's just not. Um, <laughs> but 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 there was this one film I remember or movie I remember seeing, and the, the movie's called Gung Ho, and it starred um, uh, Michael Keaton. I think it's before he was in Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, or right about the same time. And it, hark- it, it was done in the 80s. And back in the 80s in the United States, we were afraid of two things. We were afraid of communists and we were afraid of the Japanese that they were going to literally take over everything in America, right? right. They, were, they were killing us in electronics. They were destroying us in automobiles. Mm-hmm. And they were proceeding to buy up lots of, of, of iconic American real estate i think they bought rockefeller center it became nissan plaza for a while if i'm not mistaken so anyway the 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 story is about is about a japanese or an american uh car factory in detroit that is taken over by a japanese company and and walks through some really interesting scenes about how how the japanese adapt to the american culture that they've acquired and how the americans adapt to the japanese culture and you know, given what you do for a living, I think you'd one, since you're such an expert, you'd probably find 19 things wrong with it. But nevertheless, I think you may find some nuggets you'd find stimulating. I will have to watch that because it reminds me of this documentary that was released on Netflix, I believe, last year called American Factory, which looks at a similar plot from a documentary angle, a Chinese company coming into rural Ohio, I believe, and buying a dormant factory and rebuilding it and the culture clashes between the Chinese and the workforce there in Ohio uh, is, is flabbergasting. I think the, 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 the fear of the Japanese in the eighties has morphed to the fear of the Chinese in, in the two thousands. Right. Um, Without a doubt. And, and I, I remember because of this, when you said this in the eighties, I, I totally remember that because the first time I came to the United States was in 1988. I was a foreign exchange student from Germany. I was 17 years old So now you can all do the math and date me. (laughs) And I came to Northwestern Minnesota. So um, for those of you who watched another movie called Fargo, um, then you know exactly where I spent the year 1988. Um, And by the way, that movie had 19 things correct and maybe one thing off. So it was spot on as, as, as to how people in Northwestern Minnesota or the Dakotas behave. So I was there with a host family who claimed or rightfully claimed German descent. I guess that's why they picked me as their foreign exchange student. And the old guy, the grandpa in that family, rural farming family, right, out there in in the flat land of the the Great Plains. And Lawrence, I remember him, Lawrence. He was in his late 70s when I arrived there, and, and he was yanking my chain constantly. He was really trying to push my buttons instead of to include me into the family. He, he wanted to, to see how, how far he can push the young crowd. Hmm. And he would say things like, well, back in the, back in the forties, our people kicked your people's butts and we, we really kicked the Nazis out of you. Did we? So he was, he was trying to do, to, to do all that. And to, for me as a child of the seventies and eighties, they're like, okay, old man, just bring it. Um, this is, this is your land and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. And by the way, I told him our country is really happy that you came kick the Nazis ass because we probably still will live under their rules. So thanks for doing that. And also, how do you like our cars? And that, <laughs> that typically shut him up. So that, that was, it was the, the fear of Japanese cars and maybe the respect of German cars was palpable in the eighties. I, I think that's right. So now I want to harken back to something you touched upon before that little segue, that's a sidecar, because I, I think this is really important. It's, it sounds like that you have a belief that there, you know, if, if there is a, a belief or a diagnosis that a, that a company culture is not, for lack of a better term, just sort of working, you know, I'm really struggling with saying good or bad versus bad, but it's just not working the way that it, it ought to you don't necessarily have to be the CEO to change it, that it is indeed possible to have sort of a bottom up change. So that if, if, if you're listening to this right now and, and you're not the CEO, maybe you're not even that close to being the CEO, maybe you're a vice president or you're a, you're a controller or you're a vice, you know, you're a, um, a director someplace. Um, 
there, there potentially is hope that, that, you know, you can in fact change the culture from below or from the side, not necessarily from the top. Am I reading you correctly? Well, there is a chance to do it from the side. Yeah, you simply have to have agency in the organization. If if you have a position of influence, and I'm not saying authority, but influence, that 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 can help do that. You know, and I wonder too. Um, I wonder too how much you know. Sometimes leading by example can be can can be helpful. I think that you know, and I think I like you. To, I'd like you to comment on this. I, I think that that companies even can have sort of mini enclaves, if you will, where if, if a culture throughout a company may be somewhat dysfunctional or not, or not productive, there may very well be, be business units or squads or teams that are in fact uh, quite um, effective and quite um, positive. And in that respect, maybe they can then serve as an example. Enough people kind of see it and say, Hey, why aren't we like that? And maybe, maybe change comes that way. Is that, is that a possibility or am I being my typical idealistic self? Well, I think idealism is a, is a great start because un, unless we have uh, an, an ideal, a vision that we want to have, then what are we doing it for? So I think that maybe this is not the answer to your question, but I think if, if, if an organization allows culture to happen then you're in trouble. I think if, 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 if culture will happen in and by itself, just by by letting people be with each other, and 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 the chips will fall as they may, and they may not fall the way that serves the organization. So I think there needs to be some some type of intentionality in an organization, right? Um, and if if, if if it's true what we both think, apparently that having some ideals around this is helpful, then leadership needs to be involved to a certain degree. Either they do it themselves, they, they, they steer that, that culture change or that culture design, it doesn't have to be changed, or they give agency and authority to different players in, in, in the group and say, hey, you, you guys take this, this, make this your project and you have our backing. I think in any type of change needs to have um, backup. It has to have, yeah, I, I can't think of a better word than agency. We're speaking with uh, Christian Hoefer of the Culture Mastery, and the question is, should I change my company culture? Um, we don't have a whole lot of time, but there's still some more ground I want to make sure that uh, that that we can cover here. And, and, and one is, you know, um, is, there, is there a way to kind of, to, to, to track company culture, to keep tabs on it so that, so that you can, you have sort of, I guess, early warning systems, if you will, that maybe culture is, is starting to go in a direction that you don't want it to. So that, you know, just as, as they say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You can be more in maintenance and preventative mode as opposed to crisis reaction mode. Mm. That's, that's a good question. I'm not sure there is, I'm not sure I have the answer. Maybe there is an answer to that. I, I would argue too much maintenance or culture control in an organization can backfire because it can be viewed by the employees, by the teams as um, micromanagement and, and supervision. And, and this year, this year brought out a term that I truly not like, the, this term of cancel culture, where we we question every behavior that has been okay for a long time, whether it was good or bad, but it has been in place. The group accepted it. And now we have some flags going up and we throw the baby out with the bathwater that if, if that behavior happens in an organization, I, I've, I would suspect that's not a good thing. However, there are certain, certain behavioral traits of an organization that, do not stand the test of time, maybe um, overly authoritarian leadership or um, in, in the United States, we, we've seen a lot of uh, conversations around race, ethnicity, inequality in organization, how, how race and ethnicity and identity can be brought into the workspace without um, 
without repercussions or without being a, a detriment to to the team member. If 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 those structures, if systemic racism is being thrown out, then I would I would argue that will make the company better. It will make it more productive and and you will have more cohesion. However, if you're gonna keep tabs on the on corporate culture as as a continuous practice, to me that sounds almost like 1984 policing, like a police state, big brothers watching you complete control. Um I, I mean, maybe I mis misunderstood your question, but that that's how it feels to me. If if, if we're going to talk about cultural maintenance in an organization as as an ongoing thing, I I would be a bit weary of that. Well, that's it. I'm I'm sure that you did understand it. Um, it's it's a um, yeah, and it, what what that does then is that it, to me it was that says to me is it highlights the challenges then of of maintaining this corporate culture and, and in fact thinking of the the organ the firm in, ter- in the terms of an organism where you know and I, I think i see where you're headed there are there are still companies that that want to sort of be everything you know i i, I did some projects years ago for uh, coca-cola here in atlanta and you know this wasn't that long ago. I strongly suspect it's still the same way. You know, everybody's office is full of red and white and thin mm-hmm. and, and swag that carries the, 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 you know, polar bears with Coca-Cola on it and Santa Claus and, mm-hmm. and, and everything else. And, and, you know, I, I remember, um, uh, I had dared to go out and I came back with, uh, I came back with uh, Taco Bell, which at that time I think was owned by Pepsi Cola. And you would have thought that I had streaked naked across the compound. I mean, it was, uh, I basically was sent back to my car to eat it. <laughs> so I, I learned yeah. that I was not going to do that again. Well, and if, if the majority of the people at Coke want that to be the, the behavior, then that's what they agree on. It may, it may have, you may have not liked it because you came in as an outsider. If, if they agree to it, then that's their culture, right? I, I, I might not feel happy there. You might not feel happy there because it's drowning out everything else that's not red and white and Coke. But if, if it works for them, uh, why would I be the judge? Well, and that, I think, that's, go ahead. I think a company is only a company. A business is only a business if it solves somebody else's problems. So that is always the main purpose of a business. Somebody has an issue that they need resolved with a product, a widget, a service, an idea, and a business will solve that. And as long as everybody in the business works towards that goal, I think that is what every company should think about first. Are we solving our customers' problems? This is the how outside. How we, uh, this is the what outside. How we do it internally is something that the internal people need to decide how they want to do that, how they stay competitive. And then I'm going to go full Simon Sinek on you. Um, everybody in the organization needs to know why they're doing that, why they're here. Why is that important to them to solve the customer's problem? If you're if you're there because you love Coca-Cola and red and white are your colors and you can't get enough of Santa with a, with a sticky brown effervescent liquid, then awesome. You're there for the right for the right purpose. If that's not if that's not who you are, maybe you're in the wrong culture. You won't be able to change Coke with with a mindset that doesn't apply to to the Coke uh, problem solving, so to say. Well, now you went and did it. Now you went and mentioned the name of the informal spiritual leader of the Decision Vision podcast, which is Simon Sinek. He does not know this, by the way. Um, we but, should tell him. Uh, you know, if if I if I could, I would. Um, um, it, it is on my bucket list to get him on this podcast some way, somehow. But you know, you, you, it, and and really, this 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 again, the side conversation goes back. And drives home what you said earlier is that it's not about having a bad or a good corporate culture. If that culture works to them, you know, you're right. I'm not going to judge. Just like when when I lived in Russia, they have certain customs. Uh, one of them is, you know, for example, you 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 don't give an even number of flowers to somebody unless it's at a funeral, right? Same so in a dozen roses there is a different discussion mm-hmm. than it is mm-hmm. here, right? Yep. And, and I don't judge that. It just means that if I buy a dozen roses, but my intent is to greet somebody because they're having me over for dinner, I'll take one of the roses and throw it away or give it to somebody so that it's, it's an odd number, right? 
but it's, you know, whatever culture works for them. So it, it's, um, that, that, that's a, a, a nice way to kind of circle, circle back to that in a practical way. All right. Last another, we're running over time, but I hope you have a couple more minutes because one, it's not just an elephant in the room. It is the room that I've got to get, I've got to get uh, here on, um, on uh, digital recording tape here. And that is, and that is our, our companies. See, the question is so big, even though I have it written down, I don't think I have it written down correctly. How <laughs> is, how is addressing the coronavirus pandemic forcing companies to reevaluate or reassess or, or morph their culture? Or is it, is it morphing culture, whether companies like it or not? Is this, is this going to cause a mutation? How, how is culture now kind of interacting with this, this global pandemic that has, has upended so many, uh, upended the way we work for, for millions, if not billions of people? Hmm. Well, I'm, I don't have the crystal ball. However, what I see so far is uh, a metric that I mentioned earlier, trust. Um, organizations are learning to trust their people more than they used to before because there is not the, the permanent control over what the employee is doing as their warm body moves around or sits at a desk in the building. So it isn't necessary for a lot of, for a lot of business models, it is not necessary for companies to have their people in the same building. So that for, for those companies that, that recognize that now this work from home or work from with extending more trust. And as they're producing results that are similar to the ones before COVID, they're recognizing that our people can be trusted. So I think this will actually enhance the cohesion. This will this will increase or lower the churn rate. This, this will make employees stay longer because they feel trusted. They feel seen, heard, and acknowledged. Now, there are other businesses, other organizational types or business models where we do need the people in the field or in the building or how we need to have them leave their house. And that also comes with trust because we or any organization and their clients need to be able to trust the employees that they take the virus seriously, that they are being tested, that they are taking the precautions not only at work, that they're wearing their PPEs at work, but that they're also uh, reducing their social contacts outside of work. It's easy to to ask somebody to come to work with a, with a hazmat gear on if they're having Corona parties with 25 of their friends at home. Um, so that also means I need to trust my people. And I'm not sure if we as a society, and when I say we, I mean here in the U S if, if we have succeeded yet in, in maintaining our trust levels in the public space, or in the corporate space, because the jury is still out, I think. I, I don't know often, can I trust this person at that office to be safe? Or am I trustworthy enough to them as somebody entering their space? I think trust will be one of the major critical factors in, in how we are with each other, whether it's at work or outside of work. Um. Fantastic, fantastic answer. Because I think, I think there's so much you can build up, you can build off of that. And maybe if, if there's even one takeaway, if you're thinking about, if you're thinking about coronavirus, and you're thinking about how it's impacting culture. You're right. All the, the the big pressure point at the end of the day is trust, and and companies like it or not are having to to trust the are having to trust their employees, and employees are having to trust bosses and on a level they just have not before and it's exposed some vulnerabilities. And, you know, as a sidebar, you know, there are companies now that are trying to install spyware to, to, to monitor their, 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 uh, their employees activity, basically. Hmm. I'm just gonna put this out in the public record. Brady, wherever does that, I'm out. <laughs> I, I would not subject myself to that. And I, I, it's, and look, it's never been a conversation as far as I know, but I feel that strongly that I would not, I would not be subject to it, and I would not enforce, I would not lead employees to to be in that. Um, I, I and boy, I'm trying so hard not to be judgmental. Uh, you know, but it's funny that's that not, you say this. It's not a culture because, I'd be in. <laughs> it's funny that you say this because 
outside of work, we've long accepted to be monitored that way. We all use Google. We all have smartphones and um, the NSA is tracking it anyway. So I'm, I'm being yeah, super but fatalistic. Here. <laughs> but, but, but we're, but we're not, we're not being monitored in a way where, where there's a direct consequence. You know, if we let's, let's take a very extreme yeah. example, yeah. right? If, if I, if I decide on my tablet, I'm going to go to a pornography website, right? Google knows that. And Apple knows that through Safari or whoever they know that. Right. But that's still a, that's still an exercise that, that the next day, you know, unless my wife finds out or somebody else finds out the next day, there isn't going to be some, there isn't going to be some police that's going to show up at my door and expose that and shame me publicly or, or somehow, somehow deprive me of my way of making a living. Right. Mm. As opposed to at, at the workplace where, you know, presumably somebody's going to, somebody's going to say, Hey, you know, according to our records, you only worked seven hours and 48 minutes last, you know, yesterday. What's the deal? <laughs> right. That, right. that, you know, that, that to me is, well, I, I think your point is well taken. We have made our piece of being tracked and I don't care. Look, if you want to track my daily stuff, I'm, you know, and I've been tracked by the KGB when I was in Belarus, you're just going to be really bored and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but you know when it when it gets into that that sort of that sort of big brother where you have to be accountable for how you spend every minute of your time in a workday, you know that that well, that to me borders on evil. And, and I know we're we're going over time here, but if, I agree with you that would be evil. However, let let's compare um, cultural regions in the world and how they address Corona. In our Western world, where our individual rights and our civilian rights are so important to each and every member of U.S. society and other Western societies, um, there was a lot of pushback to any type of government authority trying to regulate our lives uh, in order to uh, stop spread the virus. In other more collectivist societies, um, one example or two examples that I could think of were South Korea and, and Taiwan where group interest trumps individual interest, um, the, the society overall was quite comfortable being tracked with, um, with the personality tracker on their phone. It was just, it was people were, I think they, they forced downloaded it through the, uh, to the carrier on people's phones. And if you left the house during lockdown, um, somebody came to your door and check on you. So th this is quite big brother and George Orwellian and, and quite intrusive However, in those societies, this the acceptance for these measures was higher than it would be in in Western societies, and I I, I don't want to be I don't want to root for that I don't want to endorse it. However, I think the results of containing the virus in Korea and Taiwan are a bit better than they are in Europe and North America. Well, that that's true. I mean, you can't argue with the results, and I, I guess you know yeah, yeah you're talking about the track and trace kind of kind of programs um yeah you know and they do seem to be effective and uh you know i i uh you know i i don't use this platform to make any kind of political or social statements but i, I will say this that i recognize that there is a uh, a trade-off most likely there is a trade-off between what level of individual freedom mm -hmm. that we are willing to pay if you will, mm -hmm. in exchange for a cert for at least a promised level of of health security, right? And yeah. each society is deciding to price that. There's a different utility function. Now I'm going to get my econo my economist geek hat on. There's a different utility function for each, each society, and what we've discovered in the United States, I think more than any other industrialized democracy, is that we have two different utility functions. And and those are proving very difficult, if not nearly impossible, to reconcile. I would agree, um, Christian. This has been great, and I so appreciate you willing being willing to come on and be here. Long, I me. think this is the longest podcast we've ever done. Um, oh, I don't think we've ever gone time. over the hour mark. So we must we must be doing something right, or at least we're entertaining ourselves. But but thank you so much. And um, how can people me. contact you if they have questions about? you know, a, a, about this, or maybe they want to know more about Bavaria or they want to know more about 
corporate culture or international culture and trying to mesh them, what, what's the best way of, uh, for them to contact you? I like email. I like the socials. I think you, you have all my information that will be shared in, I guess, the show notes or so. But as you listen, I think the, the easiest way is to find us online, theculturemastery.com. That's one word, theculturemastery. Um, there you'll, you'll find all the links to the socials. I prefer LinkedIn of all the social media tools, but obviously I have my shingle out on, on many others. So, um, it, it should be easy to find. There's, there's only one culture guy. So you can also Google the culture guy that will work. Very nice. I, I need to be, I need to ha- set myself up as the value guy, but, um, uh, I, I didn't set myself up that way. That was my mastermind group. They they gave me that name. I would have never chosen that. I found it corny at, at the start, but they said, hey, that's well, who you are. Said, okay. You know, the best nicknames are the ones that other, other people give you. Um, yeah. m- mine, mine actually has been the mad scientist, so I decided I'm going to go with that. But um, Love it. Uh, um, so that, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. And I'd like to thank uh, Christian Hofer so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 